1972, Carly Simon released a song called You're So Vain. And you probably know how it goes. You can probably sing it, right? You're so vain. How's it go? You probably think this song is about you, right? I am convinced that, has, that is how the gospel writer Luke felt whenever he heard one of Jesus' stories about money or riches or wealth or generosity or possessions. Because I think Luke was rich. All the other New Testament writers, the fishermen and the farmers who heard a story about generosity or money or riches, I think it went in one ear and out the other because they were like, yeah, does not apply to me. But Luke, I think when he heard one of those stories, he leaned in. This series I mentioned just a minute ago is called Jesus, a Research Project, and it is part of a three-year kind of study that we're doing. A couple years ago we did Matthew, last year we did Mark, this year we're doing Luke. They are stories, is studying the teachings, the parables, the miracles, the healings that are only found in the Gospel of Luke. They're unique to him. And it's really interesting when you start kind of taking out the stories that are only in Luke. It's fascinating how many of them have to do with money, how many of them have to do with a well-to-do people, with a story of a rich person. It, it's, it's fascinating how many of them have to do with kind of these issues. And I think it's because they really made sense for a well-to-do Greek physician like himself. Luke says, the reason we call this a research project is at the very beginning it says that Luke thoroughly investigated the story of Jesus, meaning he interviewed people and kind of heard their stories because he did not know Jesus himself. He just knew people who had known Jesus when he was on earth in ministry. So it's perhaps possible that these stories are only found in Luke because Luke ran around with a well-to-do crowd. And they are the kinds of people who would have remembered these teachings because they were the teachings that changed their lives. Or because it's the kind of people that Luke knew, he wrote them down because they were the people that he wanted to share his story with. They were the kinds of people that, that Luke wanted to share his account with Jesus. He wanted them to remember these stories. Whatever the case, Luke was listening when someone retold a story about money, riches, wealth, generosity, stewardship. Now, let's have some transparency here because church is a good place to be honest, right? Right? Okay, okay. I, just, I didn't know where we are going there, but um, let me just name it. Nobody likes it when the preacher talks about money. Okay, right? You can, thank you, we got a right over here. Thank you, thank you. That's like the honest one, right? Nobody likes, nobody's like, man, I can't wait. I hear the preacher's talking about tithing today. I can't wait to go to church, right? And there are some good reasons for why this, this whole, this topic causes our shoulders to tense up and causes us to kind of like squirm and kind of like, oh, let me just bear it. We got to do this a couple times a year. One of them, one of the good reasons is misconduct, is that you have heard stories, you have experienced stories, you have read stories of misconduct with money. You have heard stories of clergy 
abusing money, stealing money, misusing money, uh, mishandling money. Uh, you've heard stories of preachers using money to buy the pastor a jet. And I just want you to know we would never do that. It would be much more effective if we had a hel helicopter, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're trying to get a couple new golf carts, man. We, we, <laughs> like, we just need a couple more golf carts get people up from the parking lot. But these are just real things. I've lived them when the church that I grew up in had, had, you know, church staff that mishandled money and it makes you think. So we come to the, we come to the topic with kind of some skepticisms that we believe there is kind of like some behind the scenes shady business going on. That experience, that the stories that you've heard, that I've read, that we've experienced, they color how we view it when pastors talk about money. Because we kind of make some assumptions that there's something sketchy maybe going on behind the scenes. So I can't really do anything about that because that is real. That Those things have happened at churches that we've been a part of or that we've read about. All we can do is try to operate with integrity and transparency. And hopefully over time, people will trust us as an organization and see that when we talk about money, it's not really a dollar issue, it's a discipleship issue. And that's what I really believe it is. It's not about dollar signs. It is about discipleship. But this is real. This is true. There has been misconduct. And I get that it sort of taints the way that we see sermons about money. The second thing that is true is that the idea of more. We are, I, mentioned, I just mentioned uh, just a minute ago, we are in a three-year campaign and today is a one-year check-in. We kind of gave all of the details about that. So it seems like we are talking about money more than ever before within the context of these three years. And we need more money than ever before. We've known for a few years that our children's space was inadequate uh, to host more families and serve children well. And we believe in investing in the next generation. We believe that they are worth us spending millions of dollars on. And I believe this with all my heart. But however, the four campaign is not about dollar amounts and buildings. I believe that it is really about galvanizing our church family around uh, a, a mission, a, a tangible, real goal to be rich toward God and be in for the next gen. It's all of us saying, I want to be a part of God's work. So if you're new, I mentioned, we'd love to have you come to the dinner to hear more about that. But can we just name that we can get financial fatigue when you're in the middle of a campaign and you've got big yellow machines moving dirt and they're still in concrete and you have the very real ideas. More is a real issue. The third one is mission. It sort of fills off mission. It's not really our core mission. We are about the free love and grace of Jesus Christ. The story that we tell is that Jesus' love is free and we can't pay for it and that we can't do anything to earn it or attain it or achieve it that God gives it through his son Jesus freely in his death on the cross and victory that is free through his resurrection. That's our story. That's that's the heart of our church, and that's what we want to teach. So 
we're about teaching messages of hope, of encouragement, of forgiveness, of new life. I mean, that's, that's what the church is all about. And you, and so when there's a sermon like this that comes up and like you invited a new friend today and you're like, and this is what you feel like, right? When I bring my new friend to church and ends up being the Sonny the Patrick preaches about tithing, right? You're like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And some of you, maybe it wasn't a friend, but you just came today for the very first time. I met a few of you out in uh, the atrium. And so here's what I want to tell you. We don't talk about money all the time. Next week, I'm going to teach another one of these uh, messages that's only in Luke. And it's a story where Jesus teaches about humility. And we're going to finish this series on all of these stories that are about many other things. And of course, leading up to Easter as we talk about the cross and the resurrection. But uh, this is true that it feels off mission. But come on. Part of our mission here at Mountaintop is to invite and equip people to follow Jesus. And part of our equipping is teaching our people how to be generous because we serve a generous God. And if we don't teach people, if we don't teach people tithing, if we don't teach people generosity, then we have failed you as church leaders. Because this, this stuff, money and possessions can get a hold of our heart and we will not be fully surrendered to Jesus. It is such a vital part of being a disciple of Jesus. So we are compelled to teach it and we are compelled to listen if Jesus our risen Savior says something about money so today we're gonna see what Jesus says in this story that is only found in Luke chapter 12 what he says about money if you got your Bibles you want to turn them to Luke 12 and just kind of leave them there we're gonna to get to that in just a second Luke chapter 12 so what Jesus says in this teaching it's very short it's kind of something that, that we've probably all said, your grandma said it, your dad said it, you've said it, we know it to be true. Well, here's what Jesus is going to say, you can't take it with you. You ever said that? You can't take it with you. We all know this is true. You can't take it with you. That's not the way it works. In fact, we often say something else that goes along with this, and I found some really interesting quotes from the great theologian Denzel Washington. <laughs> Denzel has spoken about this a lot. This is what Denzel says, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Now I've been blessed to make hundreds of millions of dollars in my life, I can't take it with me, and neither can you. It's not about how much you have, but what you do with what you have. Now, in light of this, we've asked Denzel to make a small donation to the Four campaign. <laughs> We're going to see how that works out. But I think Denzel has read Luke because that sounds an awful lot like what Jesus teaches about greed. This is what Jesus says in that Luke chapter 12 we're going to begin in verse 13, and if you're at home and you got your Bible or your, your, your phone app open there, or may, if you're in the room and you do not have a hard copy Bible, please take one on the bookshelf on the way when you leave. This is what it says beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, so he's in this crowd, he's teaching, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, this is kind of interesting, man, I'm going to imagine that's how he said that. Man, who appointed me judge 
or an arbiter between you. Jesus does not seem very interested in getting involved in this personal matter. This is a family ordeal. And it sounds like Jesus is like, I, I don't want to get in y'all's family business. I, I don't, I don't want to hear you know, about that. But then Jesus is kind of like, well, but since you asked. This is what it says next. Then he, Jesus, said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Be on your guard. Now I'm going to tell you something about me that you did not know. For about five or six months when I was in college, I worked as a security guard. I was a rent-a-cop. Uh, I had the uniform. I had a badge for the good of all humanity. I did not have a weapon. Um, <laughs> but I, I was this security guard, and the company that I worked for had contracts with uh, three local companies. I worked uh, security at two manufacturing plants and one courtyard by Marriott. That shift was 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., um, which mostly I just watched whatever the Tonight Show was uh, after like midnight. But uh, it, was, it was this job that was intentional though. The reason you hire a security guard is because you are anticipating that there might be a trespasser. You are anticipating that you need to be prepared for a potential intruder. The manufacturing plants were very picky about who could come in their plants and who could come on their property. And the courtyard by Marriott obviously didn't want people hanging out in the lobby who were not, uh, who were not staying there, customers. They, they anticipated that there might be an intruder. And Jesus is saying, you need to guard against greed. You need to anticipate that there, this thing will be an intruder in your life. He says you have to guard against greed. You need to put up guardrails in your life so that this doesn't make its way into your lobby. You need to put up guardrails in your life so that this, this thing doesn't make its way onto your property. It is out there and it will come in if you do not guard against it. Now, here's the thing. If I ask everybody in this room, and if we did an online survey and you put something in the comments, and I said, how many of you think you're greedy? Do you know how many people in this room would say that they think they're greedy? Zero. None of us think that we are greedy. None of us think that we struggle with greed because that's for people who have more money than us. Right? That's for people who have more money than us. They are the ones who are struggling with greed. And Jesus says, listen, you're never going to think you're here. It's just going to make its way onto your property. It's going to kind of make its way into your lobby. And if you don't have a guard set up against it, one day you'll wake up and you'll be greedy and you don't even know how you got there. And then I love the way that Jesus said, did you catch what he said? Be on your guard against 
all kinds of greed. We often think about greed and we think about money, but Jesus says all kinds of greed. We can be greedy with our time, can't we? I mean, when we hear Melissa talk about 23 volunteers, they're like, ugh. Man, if I do that, then I'm going to have to be at church. Like, I'm going to have to serve for an hour and worship for an hour. And are we greedy with our time? We can be greedy with our talents. Some of you are gifted musicians who should probably be on this stage. But for whatever reason, you haven't said you're willing to give that to God yet. It's going to take being here early on a Sunday morning sometimes. What other kind of things are we greedy with? We can be greedy with our, with our energy. We can be greedy um, with our gifts. Are you a great handyman or a handywoman? Are you a great artist? Are you a leader? We can be greedy with more than just money. We can be greedy with our talents. And then, of course, Jesus gets into the, the heart of it. He says, have you made your life about an abundance of possessions? As if to say, you need to guard against all kinds of greed, but let me tell you the easiest one, or maybe the hardest one. The one that will most easily just worm its way into your life. The one one that will most easily get on your property is stuff, money. And And here's the thing about it. It's hard not to be because none of us feel like we have enough of it. And that's why none of us think that we're greedy, because we assume that greed would mean we have enough. And again, if I ask anyone in the room, do you have enough money yet? The answer is no. So how can you be greedy with something that you feel like you don't have enough of it? To illustrate, Jesus tells a story. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now there is already a foundational problem here in the story with this man. What has produced his crops? The ground. Now every farmer knows, now you might own the land, but every farmer knows that there is something mystical that happens in the ground that is out of your control. My very first church was in a farming community. We had 25 people on Sunday morning, and when we had an early service, the dairy farmers couldn't make it there on time. I mean, it was that much of a farming community. And my very first summer there, we had a drought. And I used to think it was like, why are people, you know, sometimes when like, when we have like a, not rain for like three weeks in the summer and we pray for rain, I'm going to say something, we don't mean it. They meant it. I mean, they, they're praying for rain because they understood there's something mystical, that there's something that happens with their crop. They were dependent on it. They were out of control of whether it is. So this man, all of a sudden, he immediately has this idea that this is his work, but it has happened in the ground, has produced it, and he's had a bumper crop that was a blessing from God, but he immediately identifies it as his. Greed has gotten its foot in the door. He hadn't, he hadn't put a security guard up against it, and it only gets worse in the story. 
Then Jesus said this. And then the man said this. This is what I'll do. I know, I know, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. My, 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 my. It's mine. And money fools us this way, right? I mean, money's one of the few things that you and I own that has an account in which your name is attached to it. In fact, it's password protected, isn't it? Can't just anybody walk in and take your money. You have to show them your ID. It, it feels like on planet Earth, it feels like it is my money. It feels like it belongs to me. But it's not. It's his. And if you got it through hard work, if you got it, you're like, no, no, you don't know. I got it through hard work. You don't know how much I put in to get what I've got. Listen, who gave you your, your talents? Who gave you your skills? Who gave you your abilities? Or if you're like, I got it through an inheritance. It was mom and daddy's hard work. Who knit you together in your mother's womb? Who called the parents that adopted you? None of us are self-made men and women. There is no such thing. And this is so important to the story. Who you think your money belongs to shapes where you think your money belongs. Who you think that your money belongs to shapes where you think your money belongs. And if you and I feel like it is mine, it is ours, then it feels like we are doing a favor to God when we give. But if we believe that it's his, then it feels like we have favor from God for what we get to keep. That's a big difference. Do you see your giving as a favor to God? Or do you see what he has given you to live on as just the blessing and the favor of God? Who you, who you think your money belongs to shapes where you think your money belongs it's God's it belongs to him but listen to what this man says and I'll say to myself I'm giving me a new big barn I'll say to myself you have plenty of grain laid up for many years take life easy eat drink and be merry now can we just own that this is deep down often what we want we all just want to retire, sit on the sofa, and eat Cheetos for the rest of our lives. Anybody, any other Cheeto lovers? Anybody else want that? Thank you. Appreciate that. That's what we want. Sometimes, uh, this past week, I went on a mission trip with a, a team here from Mountaintop to a church plant that we're, we served in north of Kansas City that your Christmas offering helps support. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll tell you about some really just amazing things that we got to be a part of and helping them and partnering with them reach their community. But I, I had to pack up, of course, a week ago, and then yesterday I unpacked. And I just hate packing and unpacking for a trip. Does anybody else hate this? I hate it. Your clothes are neatly folded and hung up in your closet and in your chest of drawers, and you have to take them out and put them in. It's just a pain. I just hate it. And oftentimes when we're packing for vacation, I always say this to Emily. I always say, you know, LeBron James doesn't have to do this. <laughs> and what I mean by that 
is like, I don't think LeBron has to make sure that he has his toothbrush. I think it is someone's job to make sure LeBron has a toothbrush wherever he lands, right? I don't think LeBron's like, let me make sure I take my favorite t-shirt. I think LeBron's favorite t-shirt is waiting on him in Cozumel. And so what I'm saying when I say that is like, Man, this is what I want. I just want to be lazy. I want to take life easy. I wish I had enough to make my life easier. Of course, LeBron's easy life is because he has spent more hours in the gym than I have been alive. <clears throat> and it is hard work. And his purpose is bigger than packing. So he, he has done the work to put himself in that position. And here's what's true. That feeling in me, that feeling of you of like, I just want to be lazy, this feeling from this man, this is against the created order. Because even in the Garden of Eden before there was sin, God created humans and they had one job, to take care of and work and tend the garden. Work is a part of the created order. Work is part of the way God made us. Rest is part of God's image in us because God rested, but laziness is not. This is against the created order. And Jesus says, when you live your life this way, when you make your life all about you and you just want to do what's easiest for you and best for you and you just want to accumulate more for you, 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 he, Jesus says, there's a problem. You and your money have an expiration date. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? We won't take it with us. You won't need it in the afterlife. It will do no good there. Some probate court judge will hand it over to your beneficiary. And it won't do us any good in the grave. I'll be dead, and so will you. And this is reality, Jesus says, and there's only one solution to the greed problem. This is how it will be. This is what it will look like. This is what it will feel like. With whoever stores up things for themselves, whoever thinks that their life is about accumulating as much as they can, whoever thinks of their money as theirs, this is how it will be for who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is what it will look like if you don't guard greed. Jesus says when we give to God, it transfers ownership to him and releases us from the power of greed. And this is what I think he's trying to say. When I release ownership of my money to God, I release myself from the ownership it has over me. When I release ownership of my money to God, I release myself from the ownership that it has over me. I am free. I am free. I am released from it. Even death can't take it away. And Jesus says, if you don't get this, if you don't do this, it is dangerous business. It is a harrowing thought. You will have spent your life thinking that it was about what you could get and do for yourself. And there will come a day you will realize that you wasted your life. And this is why I always say that tithing and generosity is not about what God wants from you. Or from me it is about what he wants for us 
What he wants for us is for our lives to be invested in something that is a part of what he is doing in the world. When I release ownership of my money to God, I release myself from the ownership it has over me. You can't outgive God, but apparently, <laughs> according to Jesus, you can outgive greed. Now, <clears throat> a lot of times when people hear this phrase to be rich toward God, they're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. But here's what I can tell you. This does not mean an amount. This means a posture of our heart. This June, I will finish up 24 years in full-time ministry. And I can tell you this, that every church I have ever served, I have not had a single church member who is spiritually mature, of which generosity wasn't also a part of their life. And not all of those were top 10 givers. Sometimes it's a single teacher who is tithing off a teacher's income, and we know that no teachers get into it to get rich. But they are sacrificing, and I see spiritual maturity, spiritual fruit in their lives. That's what this is about, spiritual maturity. And what I want for you is to know that not that you've, you've just invested in your life into something that is bigger than you, but bigger than all of us, something eternal. And there are lots of ways, there are lots of ways to be rich toward God. There are lots of great organizations that make a difference for the kingdom. But I promise you this, there's a ministry happening right now below us in our Mountaintop Kids ministry. And right now in student building with 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. And tonight with 7th through 12th graders that's making a difference in the lives of children and families. And I can't think of a better mission to give to, to be all in for the next gen, to make room for one more family, to make room for one more person, to be for Birmingham. That's what our campaign's been about. That's what our giving in this season is about. It's never about buildings or budgets. It's about making a difference in the lives of people in God's work. Before we close with the song, I want to introduce you to a couple who has had their lives impacted and changed by this ministry and hear why they decided to give to this vision to be in for the next gen. I'm Zach Woolbanks, uh, and this is my wife, Erica Woolbanks. We've uh, been living in Vestavia for about three years and um, started coming to Mount Top about 18 months to two years ago. The way we found Mountaintop was an accident. God was pursuing our family through my son. He just wanted friendship and community, and it was actually him asking us to get back into church. And so finding a community for him was really the priority. It was a very good experience. I mean, everyone was very welcoming. We uh, really felt like this could be a church that we could see ourselves going to. So many things for me in that first visit to the church just felt like the puzzle pieces being put in place for us to be here. Uh, the pastor was talking about their heart for student ministry and their plans for children's ministry, and we just knew that intrigued us. That was the whole reason why we were getting back into church. 
as soon as we left, Aiden was, you know, really excited about when we could go back. When we wake up on Sundays, um, there's nothing that I can get my two-year-old to like jump up and run to my arms to do. But when I say, let's go to church or let's go see Jesus, mm -hmm. he jumps up and he's like, Jesus, Jesus. And he comes and jumps in my arms and it's just pretty cool to see. So I think just the love that their whole entire family unit um, has and they feel when they come here and the growth and the faith that, that we're encountering here is just remarkable. To see the heart in Mountaintop to have an influence and impact in our children. It excites me, it excites me. And um, I'm excited for my kids to be a part of it. People here who are doing the ministry here, they are doing things we could never do, speaking into our kids' life in ways we never could. Um, and and so it was a no-brainer for us to, to give. Tithing is just a step of faith a lot of times when you when you're when that little voice or the enemies in your head saying you need to hold on to this money but like i said it's just a remarkable revelation that you can have time and time again when you just give up something that you think you need and need to have control over just relinquishing that control to look forward and seeing what he does with it and he will he will tenfold bless you with with anything you do and it it can carries over to other aspects of your life anything that you have control over you feel like you can't give up just take that step of faith and the more that you take a bigger leap the more refreshing and and fruitful that could be um, when god takes care of you um, i think the other thing too is really really talk to people here um, and, and get a good understanding as to what you're really giving your money towards um, how is God going to use it through this church to make an impact? The growth that, that they could contribute towards could be the difference in, in the 4-1, or it could be the difference in the, in the next dollar that the church needs to, to make space for that next family or to really make an impact on the community. So everyone's equal in that, in that contribution, and I think it's pretty cool to know that you're a part of that.